Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. After Heartbreak Hotel, the Colts get back to work in week five, getting ready for a monster of a game at Lucas Oil Stadium against their rivals from Nashville, the Tennessee Titans. The Colts are back inside the AFC South in each of the next two games, and the Colts are looking to make a statement and get back to over 500 as they now sit at 2-2 two and two after the overtime loss to the Rams in week number four. That's the setup. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining in here on another installment of Inside Football with Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor, joined today, as always, with Rick, who has three decades on NFL sidelines. Rick, welcome back, sir. How goes it on this first full week of October? Fall is here. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, you know, I guess it's going to chill out after today, but mm-hmm. no, I'm enjoying everything. You know, our two last weeks have just been uh, power-packed with excitement, uh, highs, lows, everything you could ask for. <laughs> right. and it's not even 60 minutes. It's what? It's, it's like 135 minutes in two weeks. I mean, we are getting our money's worth. No doubt about that. Yeah, that's why the Colts today, we sit here and tape this on Wednesday, the Colts today, because of that, holding a walkthrough today instead yep. of a normal Wednesday practice, as you said, close to 140 minutes of football the last two games. But uh, we've got a lot to get into today, per usual. Uh, let's first put a bow on the first four weeks of the season and talk about that loss to the Rams. And I know, like everybody, right, Rick, for you, that, that game hit you in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a melting pot of emotions on the team's performance, <laughs> getting down 23 then scoring 23, going to overtime, then losing in overtime. Uh, just what were your overall takeaways? And, again, those mixed emotions you have on this team after a game like that against the Rams last Sunday. Yeah, I went, first of all, you know, with the, the complete gamut, as you said, the gamut of emotions. Um, I, I would say the beginning of that, uh, you know, the beginning of the emotions, was I, and I think you were too. I didn't see it coming. I was a little shocked that we weren't more ready, yep. you know, from the jump in the game. I guess that was a little shocking to me after we had played so well. But there was a little hangover, I think. I think we left, you know, we left our A game initially uh, back in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, and we weren't ready. And the Rams now, you know, to their credit, are a phenomenally fast-starting team. And, boy, they jump-started it with that first shredding drive, and, you know, all of a sudden it's 20, really, and he misses a couple field goals, or it's worse, you know, to be honest with you. And, you know, that was the, the shocking part. Like I said to you, I during the game, I, I didn't see that part of it coming. But then there was a tremendous elation. Uh, I thought the, you know, the comeback uh, triggered by Richardson was just phenomenal. It was phenomenal to watch. I mean, the playmaking ability that he showed – play after play you've chronicled it all week i mean the two-point play that he hits moss that's almost inhuman i mean it's I, just not I fair don't know. yeah i don't know i don't know what other player keeps his feet during that whole sequence and hits it mm-hmm. you know and i mean you know you have to score three touchdowns two two points i mean that is that is really hard 
you know, and then the crowd just that that was the twelfth man crowd Sunday. I mean that once we started rolling in that late in that third quarter and that fourth quarter, it it was just alive. It was absolutely crazy, you know. And, and I was elated with that, um, you know. And then you know, and then I think the then the defeat, you know, the the depression of you know the the come you know the comeback by them that. You know, we just didn't finish it. We had a chance before the end of the game, and we kind of sputtered. You know, and then I think to me, because I'm a defensive-minded guy, and I look at it that way, and I lived and died my whole life that way in two-minute drills and overtimes. You know, there there was nothing, uh, just like just the agony of the overtime. You know, when we really just got shredded. You know, and then missed assignment, got a walk-off touchdown to their best player it just i i just crashed i'll be honest with you and you know i did i just crashed for you know and it really this time it lasted 24 hours uh, you know because I, I i think i think my thought was and my thoughts are not was but are is i think that you i think we can be confident that our offense with this kid at quarterback and we have things that we have to supplement you know, we got to get better in separation. You know, we, we're going to need some more elements for him. Uh, I think Steichen is going to give us a tremendous offensive coach. I, I think he and Sperano, uh I see things that we're doing that aren't even successful yet, but, you know, just make me feel good. I can see the offensive evolution and using, you know, utilizing players and so despite a, a kind of a horrific loss in my mind, because I think we could have won that one, um, I'm very, very hopeful because of that. I'm very disappointed in kind of a no plan on defense. I thought that was one of those plans where we just, well, we're going to go out, we're going to be stubborn, we're going to play our de- our zone defense and see if we can hold up that way. And you just, you know, to me, my other pet peeve on the other aspect is – I just feel like it's your responsibility as a defensive staff to come up with plans that basically shut off your, you know, your vital positions, your focal points, which is Stafford and Nakua. I mean, I, ne- I never want anybody to tell me, well, Stafford was that good. Well, that's a given. I mean, you know, Warren Moon was that good. Marino's that good. It's a, on Sunday you play against good. You do. It's not Friday night, and so. I mean, I've always said that if you can stop their player or their second-best player, then that's, I'm satisfied. If they beat us with something else, um, I'll live with that. But I'm, I'm intolerant of that, and I won't stop talking about it, to be honest with you. And I'm doing it to be helpful, not, not to be hurtful, but to be helpful. Now, I've had teams like the greatest show on turf with the Rams, uh, the Minnesota Vikings in that same era, uh, with Carter and Moss and Reed and all those guys, those were two teams where, you know, there was there was five focal points. I mean, it was, you know, you had to you had to do the best you could. But so, but it, overall, I I think because of the Steichen effect and the uh, Richardson effect, you know, I'm very hopeful, and, and I think that we have a chance, Matt, to really be ahead of schedule this year. I mean, I know the quarterback is ahead of schedule. You know, I think a lot of people wrote this off as a rebuild, you know, kind of a rebuilding year and don't worry about anything, just get better. But I, I think we're really better than that. I, And we'll get into this later, 
But this is just a gigantic battle coming mm-hmm. up Sunday. I mean, you talk about a neighborhood street fight, and I, I'm going to tell you, and I, I'm not saying that they're that good, but I have to tell you, after really studying the film, Tennessee played as well Sunday, this Sunday, as they have in 10 years. So this this, is, this looms, I, this is going to be another excitement. I can't wait to get in there Sunday. Before we get into the Tennessee Titans, we all know about the the drama off the field, and and let's stick yeah. to the facts, though. Jonathan Taylor, that's the big storyline this week uh, because he's going to come off of PUP and practice later this week. Again, the Colts are holding a, a walkthrough on Wednesday, the day in which we're taping this right now, uh, but that's going to start his 21-day window to be activated to the active roster. That also means he's got a chance, right? He's got a chance to play on Sunday. We'll see about that later in the week. But when he does come back, what what does that mean for the offense? What is the ceiling for a uh, an Anthony Richardson, Jonathan Taylor combined offensive backfield, Rick? Yeah, I, I like the way you phrase it. What is the ceiling? Because I, I think that's how we should look at it. And I want to say right off the bat that anything that has happened to us negatively in the first half, and I don't think there's a lot of negatives at two and two, but I, I don't think Moss has been a part of it at all. I, I think no, that not, at all. Been not at all, not at all. And, and that isn't implied. I'm just hitting it before it's implied. Sure. I mean, I think he's the, one of the big reasons that we are two and two. I mean, he has battled. I thought in that third quarter when we made that, when we went on the first drive to get, and I always say it's the first drive that matters. I thought he gave us not only good running but inspirational running. I said it at the time that was an inspirational run and damned if the whole team and the crowd didn't pick it up. Um, I think he's just banged away for us and has been really good. So I don't think that it it was the limitation that we thought it was once we got Moss back. Now, when you talk about ceiling with Jonathan, the difference is Jonathan is one of the difference makers in the National Football League, and there's only so many of those guys. There's only so many guys that can change a game, not just with a five-yard run, but he's a guy that can take it 65. And I I think it does affect the defensive thinking uh, when you have a great quarterback on the edge like our guy is. I mean, they're scared to death of him now. They're stalling those defensive ends and those outside linebackers every down. Just they're really starting to stall on Richardson. They're not coming hard and no matter what the rest of the front is, Matt, no matter what the rest of the front is, that just opens up small gaps. And I think our offensive line, if we can get them all healthy together, is really playing well. I think Tony's really playing well, and he's adding little schematic things. And so with Taylor, when you look at ceiling, you talk about not only moving the ball, but you talk about maybe getting some home runs out of that position, if you follow what I'm saying. You know, you're going to get home runs out of the quarterback, and they're going to compensate, and they're going to play him. They're always going to play a man and a half on that edge to him. And so this this gives Jonathan, I think, and, and the schemes that we're trying to get better at, I think that gives him a better opportunity than he's had in a long time. And hopefully he's just combat ready. It's not, you know, he's going to be smart enough. He's going to be cardiovascularly good enough. The only problem I worry about a little bit, and you don't contact during the season, so that's not a big deal. But during during the preseason, even though you're not, he's not usually taking any snaps live. He is getting banged around. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think the biggest thing early is if he plays this week, 
is ball security. I think that's you know that's the one thing when you you know when you get back in there and it's it's live and it's full speed. I think ball security will be the biggest thing with him early, and then go from there. All right, we will see number twenty-eight back on the practice field this week for the Indianapolis Colts. That's exciting because still one of the best players in the National Football League, still one of the best players at his position. We'll see if he's on the game field this weekend against the Tennessee Titans and what that looks like potentially. All right, let's turn the page. It's now on to opportunity number five up next, the Tennessee Titans, who have won five straight games over the Colts dating back to 2020. And, Rick, you might as well call them the Tennessee Enigmas after four (laughs) games. They have been the definition of Jekyll and Hyde, right? They sit in two and two, just like the rest of the AFC South, by the way. But the Titans beat the Bengals last week 27-3. The week before, they were drubbed 27-3 by the Browns. Uh, they are 2-0 and at home, 0-2 on the road. They have yet to score a touchdown in their first two losses away from Nashville. Uh, in two wins, averaging 27 points. In two losses, putting up just uh, nine points per game. So, long story short, right, when they're good, they're good. When they're bad, they look really bad, as was the case two weeks ago against the Browns when they failed to muster 100 yards of offense for the first time since 2006. Then they come back the next game last Sunday, and they put up 400 yards of offense against the Bengals. So, still trying to figure them out. Mike Vrabel is in year number six, and he's built a great culture of toughness and physicality. Derrick Henry is still the toughest downhill running back in the NFL. Uh, Quarterback Ryan Tannehill can still beat you with good decisions and precision in the passing game. And then the Titans defense, they're going to keep them in every game this season with the way they're playing, uh, especially against the run. Opposing point total right now is under 20 points so far in the season. So really, really interesting team in a lot of different ways here, Rick. Will the real Tennessee Titans Will they stand up? What do you make of Tennessee so far on the season, Rick? No, the enigma, the enigma uh, <laughs> statement is is pretty solid to date. Um, you know me; I will always look at a team at their very best, and you know I will prepare for their weaknesses schematically, but emotionally, I always play for them at their very best. And I kind of mentioned in the opener, I really I was almost shocked when I watched that game Sunday from beginning to end because. As I said to you, um, that was as good a performance as I've seen from them in 10 years. And, you know, they've had a lot of great teams in 10 years. That's a big statement I'm making. I mean, they were hot. Uh, They returned to Tennessee football. I'm going to use this term a lot this week, and that's advantage, okay? They play great when they establish advantage early, okay, because what it does – is it then allows them to pound, and, you know, by the fourth quarter, if they're ahead, that big steel horse, that cumulative effect on you is a killer. You know, and he got back to 122. I mean, he was well under four yards a carry going into that game. No doubt. And, you know, he was back to 122 and 5-5 last week. That's the guy we know. The other thing that does is it also – uh, advantage takes heat off of Tannehill, allows him to do what he does best, which is play action, which is movement, which is accuracy, as you say, uh, all those things where he doesn't have to throw it 40 times. And then their offensive line is a good run-blocking line, but it's Swiss cheese on, on, on protection, and that's what happened at Cleveland. They got behind 
and they couldn't block Miles Garrett. They couldn't block those guys. It was just it was a it was a jailbreak to be honest with you because they got in disadvantage. And that's what when their defense struggles, it's because they don't ever get the edge. Now their defense is good. I mean, it is good. They, uh, you know, they, the, 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 the jumps that they made in one week, uh, statistically, which I know you're aware of because you're my statistical savant, but the jumps are tremendous. I mean, they went from, um, I forget what it was, 20 to eighth in scoring, you know, their seventh and third down, their number one in rush per, um, you know, their number seven in sacks. I mean, the only thing that if you want to look at them statistically is, on pass defense is the only part of their team that isn't good. And they're talented. And, yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about Aaron Donald last week, and obviously his reputation precedes him. But I'm telling you what, in another way, Simmons is just as big a threat. I mean, he is a different kind of player. He's more of a power speed guy. But I'm telling you, he is really, really good. Simmons can ruin your game. And what happens is if they get a lead or they get a lot of third and longs, you know, we've chronicled that, the difference in third and long and third and three, and we're really struggling. I think, what are we, 0-13 on third and long? But when you get them in third and long, that's when they get creative. They're not a super complex team until third down. And then on third down, I'll get into it in the must, but a lot of wrinkles, and most of the wrinkles – are really just to get Simmons on a mismatch. <clears throat> and they don't care where they line him up. Where they like to mismatch you is on your center. So, I mean, they are legitimate, legitimate football team. If you watch them Saturday or you watch them Sunday, you say that's that's a championship team. So, you know, I'll get into the specifics, but, you know, this is a really good football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and coming in here, like you say, and I'm going to continue to use that because – Getting an advantage on them, just the opposite of what we did with the Rams last week, right? It'd be all the difference in the world, Matt. All right, then let's bust out the blueprints. Let's talk about how the Colts can snap this losing streak to the Titans and get back on track here inside the AFC South. Up first, let's talk about the Titans' offense. All right, they're putting up only 18 points per game on average, but twice this season they've ballooned that up to 27 points, which was the case last Sunday when they played damn near flawless against the Cincinnati Bengals. It all starts still with Derrick Henry in the running game. Leads the NFL in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns since he entered the NFL in 2016. He's twice been the NFL rushing champ in 2019 and 2020, and he's a Colts killer. Seven career 100-yard rushing games, and he's gone over the century mark in six of the last seven meetings with Indianapolis. Ryan Tannehill has 38 wins as the Titans quarterback. He ranks first in team history in passer rating, completion percentage, ranks fifth in passing touchdowns, and sixth in passing yards. His favorite target this year, another Colts killer coming over in free agency, DeAndre Hopkins. He leads the NFL on catches, receiving yards, and is tied for fourth in receiving touchdowns since he broke into the NFL in 2013. And he, too, has had some really big games against the Colts, 13 games against Indianapolis uh, with the Houston Texans, and in those games, six touchdowns and is averaging 81 yards per game. So this is an offense that is still dangerous, and when it has the advantage, like you said, Rick, it's very, very dangerous, especially when they can rely on that steel horse known as 
uh, Derrick Henry. What else did I miss about the Titans' offense going into this game against the Colts? No, that's really a good breakdown. And I, and I think this, I think when you look at them, I, I think almost we have to throw out the 23 stats. I, I think they, they kind of vary on advantage, disadvantage. I think when you look at the team, the way I look at them, is they have three players that have had great, great careers and are capable of absolutely beating the hell out of you. That Obviously, the focal point is Henry. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Tannehill more than most people. Uh, I think Ryan Tannehill can beat you at any time. You, you said it earlier, uh, tremendous accuracy, a better athlete. He moves the chains if he has to. Very dangerous running the ball with designers, even at his age, inside the red, red zone. And then you have Hopkins, who has rare ability. Without speed, he separates. He's able Somehow he gets by with push-off every single play. He has Hall of Fame hands. Uh, he reminds me so much of Chris Carter back in the day. And so, you know, just for starters, they have three guys that really are career top players in the National Football League. Again, the focal point is Henry. He is the <clears throat> downhill thruster, uh, but he is deceptive. Uh, he also can get on the edge. We've seen him. I think he had a you know, a 60-plus yard touchdown against us a couple years ago in the fourth quarter when your sword is a little bit broken. Uh, you know, He's a guy that can get cumulative in the fourth quarter if you're not stopping them. And then they've added a supplementary player, a kid I really liked out of Tulane in Spears. And Spears is small, but he's just the opposite. He comes in and he is a jitterbug back. I mean, he is a guy that can move and remove. And also, he's a guy that can get on the edge, catch a screen. And what they're doing now, they're kind of finding themselves is one of the personnel groupings they use is, I call it fast regular because it's two running backs. They use them together, and they'll motion and get one of them out. And, you know, sometimes it'll be uh, Spears in motion. Sometimes it'll be Henry. And, and they got a heck of a nice little package with those guys. Then what they've done a good job, and they're finding it. I think they're finding it. You know, Burks is out. He's probably doubtful for our game. He was becoming an effective guy. But the guy that played really well last year, and I really respect him, he's not an elite player, but the Hoosier, Westbrook and Hines, you know, he he did a heck of a job. They He stepped up basically for Burke. Burks, played the slot mm-hmm. a lot, did the dirty work. He reminds me a little bit of Pittman in that he's dirty work. He plays exceptionally kind of in the slot. Not a big play guy, but kind of a role player. And then the guy that they use deep on the deep ball is Moore. Moore is only caught about three balls, but I think he's got like about a 30-yard average. I mean, and <clears throat> without Burks, he's the guy that they will take the shots with. Right. And then they have, you know, some good tight ends. Uh, uh, Okonkwo is a really good receiver, number 85, and he's the guy when they – a lot of possessions, let's say they get behind an account, they throw him a lot of sticks – West goes the big blocker, and then Wally is the kid from Cincy, the rookie. And so they'll play some three tight ends, and they'll use the they'll use the tight end as a fullback in there. So you know they'll you know that's kind of who they are. On first down, they really like to pound you with the run, obviously. And then Tannehill likes the deep play action, half a boot, a lot like the Rams. 
a boot, half a boot, but he's always looking for that shot downfield. He wants that shot on first down. If they get behind in account, they're like most teams, get back, some run, a lot of quick throws. You know, and then third down, they'll play the sticks. If it's third and short, they're going to rub you. They're going to snag you. Uh, if it's third and long, he's going to run those deep daggers and 666s. Uh, they really they block the run decently. They really struggle on pass protection. I think their left tackle is a high draft pick in Dillard, but he has struggled on the blind side. Now, they could get Skaronsky, their first-round draft choice, back at left guard because – if he's not there, they they've just really they've had uh, they've had different guys in there. Radens, Newman, they have really struggled. Their centers are light. I mean, that, their offensive line against Cleveland was just an absolute mess when they get behind. So when we look at the defensive blueprint, I mean, it's some of it is very obvious. I mean, first of all, we have to stop the downhill runs of Henry. I mean, you're talking about 85. 8,500 8, yards in a lifetime, 4-7, and most importantly, 79 touchdowns, okay, plus 132 catches. This is, And then you have the loose play stuff now of Spears. So we, we've got to eliminate that running game or certainly control it. We've got to keep it under four. If we keep it under four, then you have a really good chance because then that also takes away, if they're not running it, takes away a lot of Tannehill's play action where he's really good. And we want to form, we want to force a one-dimensional passing game because of their protection issues. Again, what do we want to do? We want to create disadvantage for Tannehill. I think against this team, you really have to penetrate. You can't sit on the line of scrimmage because he's such a downhill force that he'll move the pile. So I think we really have to uh, penetrate linebackers attack quickly and then hold the edge he's dangerous as his spears on the edge more dangerous than you would actually uh, think and both guys can go to the house so number one we've got to take away those runs number two you've got to control Tannehill Tannehill's very accurate as you said he's 64-2 lifetime you know he's he's got uh, and, and he you know he's got like two three thousand completions and the other thing that is a little bit misleading about him is he has 27 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's a guy that, you know, and I'll say it when we get in there Sunday, be alert for him when that ball crosses the trunny, and particularly when it's inside the 10. They have no problem running a designer with a 35-year-old man, and he, he'll he run an option, he'll run all those kind of things. He's you know, he he could be he could be Anthony's grandfather, but he still runs the ball pretty well. And so, you know, now I do think one thing. I think it's part competitor, and I think it's part carelessness at times. He will force the ball if you if you have really tight coverage, and you're not giving him open zones. I, I think you can get him to to turn it over, and then turnovers then would become a big factor. You got to take away Hopkins. Hopkins is a strange bird, but a tremendous bird. Eight fifty-three catches, seventy-one touchdowns. I mean, and what they like to do with him, they like to do two things with him. He has no speed whatsoever. He didn't have any speed coming out. Still doesn't have any, and he still has caught so many passes. But he knows how to push off. He's tremendous on release. He's really has a little stutter go move. If you're pressing him, a young corner. 
he'll he'll give him just a little stutter shake and boom there's separation he pushes off more than anybody in history but gets by with it i at some point i say call it on him will you but what they like to do is isolate him weak a lot of 3 by 1 to the right and he's all alone to the left and what they want if you're off back there you know they're going to throw a lot of slants underneath you if you come up and press him then it's going to be they I mean, Tannehill will not hesitate in any situation to throw the fade 50-50 to him because that's, that's how he's made a living. And I think what you got to be careful with when you're pressing with him, don't worry about too much contact at the line of scrimmage. I mean, normally I'm big on that, but he's a guy that will play off of that. You want one jam, and then you want to get on top of him and cut him off so there's not much distance to the sidelines. And if you stay on the high shoulder with them, then you're playing back down to the 50-50 ball. If you see what I'm saying. You know, a lot of guys I want you to jam and kill at the line of scrimmage, like a Collins or somebody like that. He's a little bit different because he'll use your contact as almost a, a, a jump point. Then the other thing is what they did this week with him, which was a little bit different, they got in a three-man bunch and put him unexpectedly at the point and ran a lot of possession stuff inside with him. So at the end of the day, if they need a play, Matt, if they need a passing play, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's going to Hopkins. So no excuse to not take Hopkins away in those situations. And then you know the other guys, as I said, uh, you know, Westbrook slash is, is, is really good, uh, dirty work, all-purpose guy, and alert more on the deep ball. Again, advantage, advantage, advantage. If we get an advantage and stay an advantage, mm -hmm. it'll be like Cleveland. Their offensive line uh, has, is 27th in sacks. It's Swiss cheese everywhere. Uh, Gus has to keep blitzing uh, on Dillard, the left tackle. Give him speed, but then cut it down. Speed, not necessarily speed to power, but speed to crush and get on that edge. Power the center. If Skaronsky's not there, then we want to put a really good athlete like Buckner on the left guard and move with them. Uh, they have they really have limited speed. They're not really fast. Mm -hmm. So this is a team, you know, whenever I got a team that I didn't think could really run, then I was more likely to bring more pressure because I didn't fear the big play. So I, I think that's important. And know that Tannehill is not going to be able to hold the ball with this offensive line. So, Again, front seven dominate for 60 minutes. Again, starting fast. We always talk about starting fast. But, I mean, if you look at this team in tape, it's everything. Overwhelm them. Get the advantage. Get them behind the chains. Stuff the run. Sack the quarterback and take the ball away. Those three key things. All right, Rick Venturi right there. This is Inside Football, the blueprints for the Colts to beat the Tennessee Titans. I'm Matt Taylor. All right, let's uh, bust out the defensive blueprint and, and talk about one of those, uh, one of the best defenses in the NFL, I should say, through four games. Tennessee giving up only 17.5 points per game. Rick, they've held two opponents under 16, and they've just been elite, elite so far in shutting down the run. They've put up 10 consecutive games dating back to last season without allowing the opposition to rush for 100 yards. And the Titans' defense has also gone 20 games 
without allowing a 100-yard rusher. Uh, this season, the Titans rank fourth in the NFL in rushing defense. They lead the NFL with an average of just 2.9 yards per carry allowed. So they're really, really good up front. And we'll talk about that front seven. And they are really disruptive, just like the Colts, right? They have 13 sacks as a defense. That ranks tied for seventh. Uh, the front seven is loaded. Jeffrey Simmons at defensive tackle. He's been a pro bowler the last two years. Uh, former Colt Danico Autry at defensive end. He's got seven sacks in his first two years down in Tennessee. Uh, Harold Landry is back at outside linebacker. He missed all of last season, but he's back. He has the fifth most sacks since the Titans moved to Nashville in 1999. And then in the back end, the star of the show there, safety Kevin Byard. He has 27 picks, which leads all NFL safeties and ranks second in the NFL since 2017. He's got a knack for the ball, and he can fly it down and cover a lot of space sideline to sideline. So this, Rick, I think is a really good defense, maybe the best challenge the Colts have faced all season. I would say that's absolutely right. I, I would actually say, you know, and it's, it's it, it, again, it's, it's a little bit different when they're behind and they're not able to crank up their third down packages and move Simmons around where they have to just play honest. Uh, but honestly, uh, Saturday against Cincinnati, Sunday against Cincinnati, they were just scary good. I mean, they dominated Cincinnati. It was 27 to three late in the third quarter. I mean, and you know, in Simmons, Again, you have that blue chip, ambient guy that has to be accounted for. I think Al Shared, the linebacker, is terrific. I, I, he, I think he's an emerging star. Uh, you talked about the safeties. We've been playing against Byard, it seems like, for four decades. Hooker is a really good young kid. And then Autry always saves his best game for us for obvious reasons. So, I mean, that those are kind of the key guys. But they're so dangerous. I'm not going to get into all the stats. You mentioned them really, really good. I mean, it's a very, it's a very talented team. It's not just schematically good, which I think they are, but they're very talented. Now, up front, I'd say they're they're moderately complex. Up front in their base defense, they're just like almost everyone in the NFL. They play a lot of over, you know, with Simmons to the tight end side, and they do that also in sub. Now, they like to mix the bear, and a lot of teams are going to play bear against Anthony because they think they can cover the inside with three guys, freeze freeze and run with the outside backers and inside backers. So we will always see an inordinate amount of bear. Um, on early downs, uh, they still play a lot of single high like everybody else, the eight-man front, the the cover threes, uh, the cover sixes, which is weak, weak side roll, the ones, which is man free. And then they their mix is cover four, the quarters, and the uh, quarter, quarter, half. They also, on first down, like to bring a lot of fires, okay? They like to bring McCreary or Bayer, just one or the other, off the edge, almost like a nuisance, and sometimes it's hooker. Again, those they like those fires from the edge on first down to disrupt you. You know, as they get into longer yardage, like second and long, then it's more of a mix of quarters, uh, cover eight, um, a little bit of man-to-man -man in that situation, a little bit more uh, preventative-type defenses. And then when they get in third down, 
they get in there what I call the NASCAR package, and that's where they're very at their best. You have Landry and Key on the edges who are really good edge rushers. I mean, remember, Landry has like 31 career sacks, and Key basically I think has 14. But then inside is where they're really dangerous. You know, you got Simmons with 24-and-a-half career you got Autry, believe it or not, he snuck up now. He's got 49 career sacks. So when they get in that front, you know, when they're third and long and they're humming there, that's a handful. And then they do two other things that I've noticed, and they really came up because of advantage on Sunday. They played a five-man NASCAR, and they put Simmons in the middle. <laughs> he put it right on the nose, and they cut everybody up. So the only help you could get would be out of the backfield, and uh, they got a big hit with him on that. They uh, they got in some overshifted four-man line where they mugged up with uh, Al Sheard, and, the, and they ended up with, again, Simmons on the nose tackle. He got a sack on that. And then they get in their delta three-man, and then they use Landry up and down the line of scrimmage, and he's, as you always hear me refer to, as the spinner. So the problem is not only talent there, but, if you get them, if you get that third and long, you not only get talent, but you get volume and you got real matchup issues. So, you know, you just, you got to know that going in. And then if they're struggling now, like against Cleveland, if they're struggling to stop you, then you're going to get bare and pressure every down. Okay. In terms of the blueprint, and I, I realize that their run defense stats are overwhelming. Uh, I mean, there's no question about it, mm-hmm. but I still think that you have to pound the ball some because I, I think you must keep this team honest. I, I don't think you want to play one-dimensional because if you play one-dimensional, then they're going to get all their packages and they're going to have the advantage. I think you can run at Landry wherever he is, whether he's the Sam in base or whether he's the end in nickel. I think he's a really good rusher, but I've never considered him a physical run player. So as a general rule, I want to direct, even if I have some check with me's, where I'm running at Landry. I would also consider, because he likes to be on the open side away from Autry, shifting the tight end and then pounding at him as well. If they play over all day, then you want to pound open away from Simmons and into that bubble, and you know you want to either pound it or what we call C-block, block down with Nelson, and pull around with Kelly if he's available, and you want to pound in there. But I, I think it's really – and then the advantage we now have is with our sensational movement quarterback, we want to keep them off balance with the zone reads and the, and the zone keeps and the designers to the edge. So you have kind of a two-fold power inside, and you have a designer runs with your quarterback outside. But I think it is so important to keep them off balance – even if we're not super successful, Matt, if you follow what I'm saying, it just even if we're not super successful, I think it's really important to keep keep it going, even with some RPOs. All right, number two, uh, I'm going to talk about protection. Now, there's no doubt we have to control the speed edges, Landry and Key, and sometimes Weaver will come in for Key, but you must. We've got, just like I said last week against Donald, and I think we gave it a good effort, uh, we have to protect the inside against Simmons. I mean, and again, he's going to be in a lot of different spots and Autry. When those two guys are inside together, I don't know of a better 
pass rushing duo in the league. So I always say there's got to be, we've got to have some kind of triangle effect in there, whether it's to keep a back in there till very late and make sure that he can clean up anything that happens, any mismatch, because if they get the advantage, they are flat imposing. Okay, get help in there. Again, they're going to move Simmons around, so don't let it be a surprise. The, the difference in him and Donald, Donald counts really on that quickness off the ball inside. Now, he gave us some speed to power on the kid last week, but he's more of a quick speed and swim rusher. Simmons a little bit different. He's like a big piercing, almost like an SUV. He's coming at you, but he can turn on the last five steps to the quarterback. He's different in that sense. Again, you know, just as threatening. They're seventh in sacks, and they're seventh on third down. So, you know, those are the areas you really don't want to be. Okay, I still think that we have to clean up our blitz control. It was better last week, um, but people look at that Baltimore game. You know, they look at some things that have hit us off the edges with perimeter blitzes, and they've got guys to do it. They, They can get up and mug. And they've got blitzers. You know that. Myers, McCreary, I really like the nickel coming off the edge. They can flame off the edge. And I think Al Share again, is a really good blitzer, number two at linebacker. I think number four, and this is where you got to beat them, okay? I talk about what not to do. Now where you got to beat them, you got to beat the corners on first down. This is, you know, they're not bad. They're solid. Uh, Murphy, Buncting, uh, Fulton, even Avery, they're not bad. But they're also not the ambient players that they have every place else. And they're more certainly predictable on first down. On first down, it's more single high in that four read that everybody's playing, that quarters read where the corners back off and they can either jump up or they can go back. Um, But they isolate the corners, and I think you just have to go after them deep. They're solid. They all grab. They'll get PIs. So go after it. Uh, I mean, Hit it or get a P.I. Uh, if you get all fours and twos, get a lot of flats and get the inside receivers on the safety. You know, like if you get in a stack and you run one receiver to the flat, that brings that corner right now. And now you take a kid like Downs and you isolate him, give him either the post or the corner. We call a poco on the safety, and then we have the mismatch. I personally would go with a lot of formation to our left. In other words, strong left. And I would work on their right corner and their strong side. The right corner is fuller. I would rather work on him, I think, than Murphy Bunny. But I want him on the strong side, Matt. Now, the reason for that is they never close the strong side. They will roll weak, but they never roll strong, particularly on first down. So, again, I would go a lot of formation weak, I mean, to the left, and I would go after Fulton. And then occasionally I'd go formation right, but I would work differently. I'd work down the seam, and I would work in the corner versus kind of the roll side. But again, again, be ready for that. you got to attack the corners. Uh, there's no doubt about it, and I think we can do that, and I think we have to do that. I think it's going to be really tough sledding against that inside nine. So, I mean, that's, that's where we got to go. Again, number five, kind of the reverse of the defense. We have to start fast and get the scoring advantage. If you can get this terrific defense, as you say, if you can get them on their heels, then they lose, A, the rush package. It nullifies Simmons' ability to move. 
in the end, field goals are great, but we've got to think, you know, 24 to, 12, to, to 27 points a game uh, to be a playoff contender. All right, well done right there. The Blueprints from Rick Venturi, and this is going to be an awesome game. I, I just think this is going to be an awesome matchup on Sunday, Rick. I, I fully anticipate this game going down to the wire, just like most of the Colts and, and Titans games do. And, and even though this is week five, I just think this is such an important game for the Colts. It's a home game. Uh, they've lost five straight games to the Titans, four straight games to Tennessee in Indianapolis. It's time to put all that stuff to bed, right? You know the fan base is getting itchy a little bit. The Titans represent the most consistent team in the division here as of late. Every game comes down to the wire. The Titans are masters of winning close games under Mike Vrabel. They've won 16 games since 2018, decided by three points or less. That's the most in the NFL in that span. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier. The, the Titans, they just have this culture of physicality and toughness and grind you down and just make more plays in crunch time. Rick, I think it's time for the Colts to out-tighten the Titans for a change in this game. I love it, and I'm just so excited. You could probably just feel it here on the airwaves. Um, you know, after their performance last week and really – good performance by us in the first four weeks i just think it's a terrific matchup this sunday if you're if you're just a fan i mean they did find their identity and Mm -hmm. they're going to be riding high the two and two is probably unexpected by both teams on a positive you know they played great at times we played great at times and we both struggle i mean again early advantage is going to be big it's a titanic battle as you said and it'll (laughs) but you know what no matter what I say, it'll still come down to crunch time. Stop Henry, control Tannehill, Hopkins, be aggressive against their defense. Don't let Simmons ruin it. Mm-hmm. Beat their corners. Battle and win up front, and this is our formula. We didn't do that last week on defense. Battle and win up front and win the turnover battle. This is the game of the year, as you just said. Divisional rival who have owned us. And this should be a neighborhood street fight right here. The meek will definitely not inherit the the earth Sunday. (laughs) The meek will not inherit the Lucas Oil earth. So get your big pants on, big boy pants on, and know the game. I always tell my players, when you get in a game like this, this game defines you as a warrior and actually as a man. And this is no country for weak men this today on Sunday. You know, I say this, own your performance and own the division. I love when, when we can uh, reference the Bible. I do. I love when we can bring in some parables right there. Rick Venturi, that's another installment of Inside Football. We're going Old Testament today on the full breakdown of the Titans coming to town in week number five. Rick, you were spot on per usual, my man. Can't wait for this game on Sunday, another AFC South test for the Colts. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you in the booth bright and early on Sunday. All right, see you in the yard, man. You got it. Rick Venturi right there, and we will do it again next week when the Colts stay inside the AFC South, another divisional test against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But that's then. This is now. Colts and Titans at Lucas Oil Stadium coming up on Sunday. Keep it locked in here on the Colts Audio Network for the rest of the week for everything you need to know on this matchup between the Colts and the Titans. And we will talk to you next Wednesday here on Inside Football with Rick Venturi on the Colts Audio Network. So long.